Welcome to New Mexico in Focus. I am your host, Kevin McDonald, executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. We've got a lot, a lot of stuff for you coming up as we are under a week left in this year's legislative session. A very ambitious agenda and priority list from the governor in a 30-day session, which is focused largely on the budget. But there are voting measures, there are crime measures, there are tax measures, and of course, one of the biggies in terms of trying to get education raises through. And some of that stuff is moving and some of it not so much. We're going to talk about some of that this week. And as always, just want to remind you, this is as of our taping on Thursday, so things may have changed slightly, although I doubt anything is finalized uh, in terms of dead or fully past the finish line and headed to the governor's desk, but just keep all that in mind. And we're going to kick things off with what's really been the high drama event of the session. That's the governor's push for uh, creation of incentives and things to make New Mexico a hydrogen hub, hydrogen technology. encourage you to listen back to a past episode. Uh, I think it's about two or three episodes back where we really get into what this technology is, why it's sort of green and kind of depends on how you do it uh, here in New Mexico, sort of in the middle of that that uh, spectrum in part because still relying on natural gas and fossil fuel extraction. But uh, this has proposal has uh, died a couple times already and been revived every time. Early in the week, it was basically tabled for good by Speaker of the House, uh, Brian Egolf, who basically said he would put it on the agenda for the 31st day of a 30-day uh, session. So everybody thought it was gone at that point, but it was revived one more time, Um, and uh, we want to talk about what's going on behind the scenes with all of that, the drama that plays into the hydrogen talk, and so our line panel is former House Minority Whip Dan Foley, Inez Russell Gomez, the editorial page editor at the Santa Fe New Mexican, and Andy Lyman, a reporter at New Mexico Political Report. Let's jump right into it now. Here's host Gene Grant. Welcome to our panelists. We're joined this week by former state representative and House Minority Whip Daniel Foley. He's right there in his garage. We love that. We're happy to welcome back Andy Lyman, reporter at New Mexico Political Report. And a big thank you to Inez Russell Gomez for pinch hitting for us this week at the last minute. Really appreciate that. Thank you all for being with us this week. Now, the hydrogen hub plan is back from the dead for a third time as we sit here taping on Thursday. Now with several changes, before we get into the meat of what's inside the bill, some of our viewers might be wondering how this proposal was able to be revived in the first place after last week's filing deadline for new legislation. Andy, a big favor, could you explain how this worked and the idea of a dummy bill and how that all works? Uh, Yeah, so as far as my knowledge about it is that uh, uh, leadership, and that that means minority leadership, Mm -hmm. um, in both the Senate and the House get sort of a a package deal of these uh, sort of blank bills. And it's uh, there's usually the the title is 
um, relating to the public health and safety welfare of the state. And it sort of is just blank. Mm -hmm. And what they, those are used for sometimes. And we've saw this in uh, 2013 with the quote, breaking bad, hold harmless bill. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen it in years since then as well, where you get past the date, the, the day to introduce new legislation and you can take that bill. It's already been introduced, right? It's already there. So you just amend it, maybe do a committee sub and then add the, the meat of the bill in there. So that's how this is allowed to sort of bring back, because we are past the day to introduce new legislation. Yeah, interesting points there. Dan, you're no stranger to dummy bills and how this all works, but this new bill, House Bill 228, right? <laughs> there are no whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean? Come on. <laughs> I passed like three bills in my entire career, and you're going to tell me I'm no stranger to dummy bills? I love it. I love you, it. That, 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 alien, that, uh, that <laughs> alien day was an extremely crucial piece of legislation for the state of New Mexico. People still talk about it to this day. However, House Bill 228 we're talking about here, no more tax credits instead of businesses will have to apply for that money. Very interesting change there. And there are different emission standards. These are tweaks that didn't fundamentally change the objective of the plan, but are they going to be enough to change the result and finally get this through committee at the very least? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, this is, you know, right now, this is, there's a few things right now that there's a rush nationally mm -hmm. for progressive Democrats to be the first to do, right? And so this is things that, you know, I mean, we, you know, Republicans, when I say progressive Democrats, I don't mean that like, Republicans don't do this also, right? I mean, you know, mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. Republicans are in charge, there's a run to do things, you want to be the first state to do something. Um, so th there's, a, there's a desire, I believe, from the fourth floor to see something like this uh, come out, from what I understand, uh, to be out there. The problem is, is, you know, I think what you're witnessing is kind of what's going on in Washington, D.C. right now. Um, you know, the progressive Democrats have a movement, they're kind of in charge. And, you know, it's kind of a battle in, internally because here's the thing. It doesn't take a Republican vote to pass anything in Santa Fe. Then take one. They don't need a single Republican vote mm -hmm. to pass anything in the House, the Senate or for the governor to sign. So clearly there's some sort of a of a of, of something that's causing some consternation within the Democrat caucus. Mm -hmm. And you have to now try to figure out a way to appease uh, you know, the progressive Democrats that say, look, we want all of this stuff while you're keeping in, in tow the, the conservative Democrats from especially from rural New Mexico, which we'll talk more about in a little bit mm -hmm. that are saying, well, hold on a second. You know, I'm not sure if this is something my ranching constituents want or my oil mm -hmm. and gas guys want. So there's a constant battle of trying to put all of that stuff together. Whenever you see this happen like this, it's it just tells you that the Democrats aren't all rowing in the same direction, but eventually they will. Now, lots of times this late in the game, you'll let leadership introduce bills just to kind of keep people happy. Hey, gotcha. you got your bill introduced. Uh, go ahead and do it. But I don't think they'd be putting this much effort into it if they didn't think they were close to getting something done. Interesting points there. I appreciate that. Inez, the way this has played out has been pretty interesting, um, particularly House Speaker Brian Egoff was the one to table that second attempt at this Hydrogen Hub Act. You know, he made that move. There were protests over the legislation outside. There were high school kids protesting outside the roundhouse. You remember that day? What do you make of the speaker's tactics in the session so far, uh, particularly on this issue? Well, um, Dan, I think, is exactly right that there's a split among the Democrats, mm -hmm. but it's the progressive Democrats that are against hydrogen because hydrogen is based on using a fossil fuel and getting that fossil fuel, natural gas, and all the different things you do to use hydrogen involves fracking. So the environmentalists who have been some of the governor's biggest supporters 
have been against this bill since before she even talked about it. I remember getting emails from different environmental groups before she introduced it saying, wow. watch for hydrogen. There is no clean hydrogen. Wow. They view it as the latest clean coal, which was not clean. And as the last gasp of natural, uh, of oil and gas trying to stay alive and be able to produce things. Mm -hmm. So EGOF, I think, understands who supports Democrats in New Mexico and knows it's not ready for prime time. At least that's my reading of it. I haven't mm -hmm. spoken to him and he tabled it. The governor, I was told, is so committed to getting something done that she's going to keep coming back and she's very persistent. Right. My, my take from a political viewpoint is why do you want to make angry some of your biggest supporters, which are the environmental groups? because they are not in favor of this at all. That's the, an the, point. You know, Jason Sandel is somebody who wrote a pro-hydrogen editorial, the, you know, the Repu Republican from Farmington. Mm -hmm. So those are the kind of people who are for hydrogen. Interesting points so, there. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah. So well, was Dan, my fault, go ahead. Sorry. So Jason's a Democrat, he's not a Republican. Oh, that's, you're right, you're right, sorry. Uh, I, I thought he's conservative I thought, though. I thought, yeah, so I, I think that Inez is sort of right, but I think the problem is, is the difference which we'll talk, I think now's a good time to bring up the difference between rural and urban Democrats in New Mexico, right? I mean, you got folks, you know, she's right, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, environmentalists, liberals, progressives, really strong supporters of the Democrat Party in Albuquerque, Santa Fe, kind of getting some pockets in other places. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're a Democrat running for office in southeastern New Mexico, northwest New Mexico, those aren't your friends, right? You're not, they may be you guys that show up and vote for you, but that's not whose door you're knocking on to raise funds. That's not whose door that your Republican opponent's going to be knocking on. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's, even though that there is the discussion that we made that the that the environmentalists are the friends of the Democrats. Clearly, I mean, they're not voting for Republicans. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of Democrats that are like, "Hold on, I want to take the money. I want to take the. I want to take the votes from those guys, but I got to keep the other side happy over here because my district is sixty forty, or you know, even right. did you know you go anywhere from Hobbs to Roswell to Carlsbad, Artesia, you're going to be in trouble if you're a Democrat. Let me let me ask this of Andy. You know, interesting. Uh, uh, I see you sort of watching the conversation, and given how this has been received. Are there legitimate questions about how this hydrogen plan was even rolled out in the first place? I mean, did the governor and Democratic leadership give themselves any kind of runway, as Inez mentioned a second ago, to appeal to their progressive colleagues, the general public? I mean, there really wasn't much mention about this until it was right in front of us just before the session started. Yeah, I don't, I, 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 to that point, I guess um, it was no secret that these groups that are out there protesting now were against this before mm -hmm. um, even... Uh, Speaker Egoff has been, <clears throat> excuse me, sort of the target of some of these groups in uh, previous elections, uh, saying, and and all politicians really uh, from these environmental groups saying, you're, you know, they're in the pockets of the oil and gas industry because mm -hmm. everybody gets money from oil and gas, basically. Um, so I don't know, uh, th that could have been, I, I don't know if this was a strategy or if there was a strategy. Um, I will say that um, making sort of the progressives mad on this one issue may not hurt her in November, mm. given the fact that their options are Republicans, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, I don't know. I know it's an interesting point there, but how does this bill mesh with the rest of the governor's climate agenda? You know what I mean? There's lots of other climate stuff on the, on the, on the agenda. You know, how does she, how does she you know, reconcile all these things? 
um, they reconcile it by claiming that this is clean hydrogen and it will help us. Yeah. But the, the science, of, at least the, the study that the people who are against it quote, show that this is 20% worse for the environment when you burn hydrogen than when you burn just regular fossil fuels. So I don't see how you balance it. To me, right. climate change is one of those things you're either all in or you're not. And trying to split the the difference is is damaging. And to Andy's point, you know, obviously, if you're running against a person who doesn't believe climate change exists, you're going to get the support of the kind of the green community or the progressive right. community. But I think it's a mistake to take that for granted when you need enthusiasm to win, when your poll numbers are a little bit lagging compared to where you would like them to be. Mm -hmm. So I would urge any politician not to take their supporters for granted. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and, Dan, real quick, we've got a Texan that owns the uh, out in Pruitt, New Mexico. They want to flip this into a hydrogen plant. We've got a lot of Texans sniffing at this business because there's natural pipelines in Texas for all this stuff. Are we being led by the nose here on hydrogen? Do we really have a, a play here? Or market force is going to make New Mexico sort of an also ran on this. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we, we're we're a market force in a lot of things that people don't realize. I mean, you got to remember when the brownouts happened out in California, mm -hmm. there were some real discussions in New Mexico. We're a big interchange for stuff going from Texas west and stuff coming down from Wyoming heading east. Mm -hmm. There's big interchanges up in Farmington, New Mexico. So we have the ability to be a big player. I think one of the things that we have to remember as well is that, you know, we, we like to re I'm not accusing anybody on the show. You know, the environmentalists like to rail against the oil and gas community, but then all the same environmentalists want the oil and gas community's taxes to pay for full day kindergarten and all the other programs. And I think the governor is in a unique position, right? She has to not only appease to her base, as most people learn in politics, there's also a point she has to govern, right? She has mm -hmm. to say, hey, listen, I've delivered on all, I'm wanting to deliver on crime packages and education packages. That money has to come from somewhere. And, you know, just one day hoping the oil and gas industry is gone out of New Mexico. There's nothing on the horizon to replace the oil and gas industry that amount of money today. Mm -hmm. We hope, people hope cannabis is going to be that, moving in that direction. Um, but I don't think we're being led by anybody. I think that, you know, there's lots of things in, in Texas has, um, they, they do, they're a lot more forward thinking on the progress and their progressiveness with oil, gas, drilling and things that they're doing. You know, when we started getting hard on drilling in New Mexico, everybody went right across the border and started horizontal drilling right into New Mexico, mm -hmm. sucking the oil out. We got no taxes for it. So, I mean, I think we need to be on the cutting edge of some of these things that we're looking forward to. I mean, we're looking at, you know, we, we had our name mentioned. Well, we'll you know, yeah, run, we'll, we'll see what happens. For the Tesla stuff, Just because I'm running out of time here, Dan, sorry yeah. about that. Uh, you know, obviously, Energy Secretary Granholm was in town a few months ago. There's a lot of activity here. We'll see what happens. Thank you all for your perspective on that issue. We'll check back with you in about 10 minutes for an update on the crime-fighting legislation in the Capitol and a potential staffing crisis at the Bernalillo County Jail. But up first, we check in with Representative Melanie Stansbury and her work in Washington, D.C., much of that effort builds on her years of experience in water planning. She recently caught up with environment reporter Laura Paskus to talk about a new bill that would improve water quality for tribes. The two also talk about climate change and why it so rarely rises to the top of concerns for lawmakers. Another top priority for the governor headed into this legislative session was a slew of bills aimed at curbing crime, which we know is a huge problem in Albuquerque, but also other parts of the state as well. A lot of tough on crime talk in the governor's state of the state 
address, and we know part of that is because it is a re-election year for her. But the linchpin of a lot of that was the pretrial release practices in the state and a bill that would have put the burden on defendants uh, to prove that they weren't a danger to the community if they were released, uh, flipping that burden of proof there. Uh, That has also, to date, gone down in flames, and the strategy seems to be shifting now to enhanced monitoring of ankle monitors, but uh, that's just part of the situation there and also part of the growing rural-urban divide uh, as it seems that the lawmakers who are pushing for this can't separate the crime problem from a state problem and an Albuquerque problem where we know crime is uh, an especially big problem. So let's get some line thoughts on the crime package in the legislature and what might be realistic in the days left of the legislative session. Here's Gene Grant. Funding increases for police departments across the state are on track to pass the state legislature. The goal is to hire and retain more police officers, but the union leader for another group of criminal justice workers is calling for attention too. That would be the Burleo County commissioners passing an emergency resolution late last month to address the staffing shortages at the Metropolitan Detention Center. But in the weeks since, KOB reports 12 more corrections officers at MDC have quit. And could this reach a point, Andy, where the state might need to step in because some of the quotes coming out of the heads of MDC are kind of scary right now. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, some mm-hmm. of these stories have mentioned uh, the National Guard, and we, uh, we've already seen that with substitute teachers. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess that's that's the, kind of the obvious possibility where the state could step in, but uh, you do get sort of this jurisdictional issue, this problem of uh, who who steps in to fix it, because it's already the Bernalillo County's job to sort of address this. Right. You know, Inez, you're up in Santa Fe, but, you know, jails are jails, as they say. You know, we, we, you know, we, we pack a lot of people in, and we expect the, the criminal justice system to just deal with this, but this seems to be a real choke point, doesn't it? It does, because um, for one thing, we've criminalized so many things Mm -hmm. that it's not that hard to get arrested. Let's say you're a homeless person with a mental illness and you do something that lands you up in jail, Um, then you have to be guarded and all all of the things that go with being in jail. Um, And our trial system is overloaded. There's not enough public defenders. A, A recent report Uh, I think it was the American Bar Association found that we're 30% understaffed for the current caseload, not just whatever new might come with all these new police officers that I assume are going to be arresting people. Um, So if you don't have public defenders and you don't have enough prosecutors and you don't have enough court time, people are going to stay in pretrial detention and they stay usually in county jails. You don't go to prison for pretrial detention. Good point. So the system has to be fixed. The governor, you know, is upset because her crime bills aren't being passed. And it might be a time for self-reflection to say, maybe I am introducing the wrong sorts of legislation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what would really fix the crime system might be ensuring swift and sure punishment, which means investing in the system that does those things. Well said. Hey, Dan, is this a symptom of how we generally approach criminal justice reform, meaning There's always talk about policing, enforcement, but the second and third half of the equation, detention and prosecution, in the court system doesn't usually get as much attention. Is that a fair statement? Is there a change in mindset that needs to happen? I mean, I think think it gets attention. I think it's not attention that people really want to talk about, right? I mean, it's hard to go back to your constituents and say, hey, I've improved 
the prison system and made it better. You know, most people think everybody should be locked up, thrown away, the key thrown away, and it should be a hard time. Mm-hmm. I think there's some easier fixes here, right? I mean, we're having these conversations where, look, we have both ends of the, of the extreme here, right? Everybody agrees that some guy gets pulled over, nonviolent offender. You know, this guy shouldn't be thrown in the in the in jail waiting eight months to go to prison, right? Mm-hmm. The flip side is no one's advocating that a guy gets who's the third time before the courts for rape and murder should be turned out in 24 hours. And so we've got to come right this. this, We have to stop looking at this like a a single piece of legislation is going to solve it. Look, I would tell you, I think there's some problems where we're just we've lost the gift of discernment out there uh, with these judges and with what's going on. Right. I mean, you hear about these people that are. You hear about these people that are committing violent crimes, multiple violent crimes, and they're back out on the streets in a few minutes. Somebody somewhere has to say, hold on a second, right? Mm-hmm. And yet we hear the story about the guy who gets pulled over, got a little bit of weed or a little bit of coke or did something stupid. And that guy disappears like the guy down in Las Cruces that got the DUI and wound up like two and a half years in right. solitary confinement. That's right. and got 40 something million dollars yeah. from Las Cruces for that. I mean, how does that happen? Right. How does how does some guy with a DUI wind up in jail for two and a half years right. before anybody does anything? But the guy who's on his third rape is out the door in 48 seconds. Daniel, let me ask and- you something that uh, Inez picked, uh, threw out on the table, which I find very interesting. And I'm referring to this fabulous piece by Daniel Chacon in the Santa Fe, New Mexico, New Mexican. Excuse me, guys. The headline, Gov, legislature's inability to tackle crime, quote, defies explanation. And Daniel, let me read you a quote from the governor. Quote, I am deeply troubled and frustrated by the legislature's reluctance to take meaningful action and New Mexicans should be outraged. Meaning these crime bills are going nowhere. Is this a preemptive strike here? Why is she out before the session's even over? It's happened for years. Listen, you you have Mm -hmm. to realize the legislature, there's a large makeup of attorneys, Mm -hmm. both criminal defense attorneys, former prosecutors. There's uh, there's there's folks that have been in other positions like mayors and county commissioners. So you you have a real battle of folks that are like, listen, I we got to make these laws. You know, this is my opinion. Okay, this Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of folks in the legislature that want to make some of these laws ambiguous so that there's a reason to get a lawyer and a reason to go fight it and a reason why you don't get convicted of DUIs 15 times. And there's other people that are like, well, wait a minute, why don't we just make these things pretty clear. And I think the governor is realizing we are going, we are on a slippery slope in New Mexico with crime. It is one of the few issues that is bipartisan right now in this state. You you go out there and you see Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, liberals, urban and rural that are saying enough is enough with the violent crime. I mean, when we're leading the nation, not per capita in, in car theft, when you got murder the way it is, when you got these massive pro- problems with crime that are not just people breaking into a house anymore, right? We we had a big hullabaloo when R.J. Berry was running for mayor about, you know, property crimes. It's now escalated into serious That's violent right. crime. That's right. And people rally behind that. And the, the sad part is, at the end of the day, when you have crime like it is right now, people don't want to see, constituents don't want to see a thoughtful, methodical process. We're going to move on from that. I hear your point, though. Andy, you know, the the idea, I'm still on this idea that the governor is out there next Thursday is when this thing ends. She's already out there preparing the public that what she proposed, we should all expect, is not going to happen. But this is an election year and an upcoming election cycle. Is it a big of a mess as I'm feeling, or can she just get past this? Well, I, I think uh, the the latest update on um, this uh, pre-child 
retention bill is sort of taking out what they're calling the rebuttable presumption mm-hmm. um, and saying well, we're going to just sort of be tougher on ankle monitors or the electronic monitoring and say they're, they're pushing for just to have that real-time data to see where people are at all times. So something could get through and it's definitely uh, not going to be this uh, sort of put people in jail if we think that the crime they've done is heinous enough. Mm-hmm. Just a reminder, that's what it is, is that uh, they're saying if if we think that we have enough evidence and I'm not even sure how the evidence plays into it, if they think that there's a crime that was that bad committed, we can put them in jail. Mm-hmm. And I think that the compromise, what it seems to be is if, if you can call it a compromise, is that they're just going to. Uh, be tougher on this this mon- electric monitoring, electronic monitoring, excuse me. So uh, it could end up being sort of a, a win for her in this mm-hmm. election season. Um, mm-hmm. In that you know that uh, she she did her best, she got something through. Um, but but Andy, to- let me let me ask you this: Albuquerque Mayor Tim Keller told KOB this week that he supports a special session dealing solely with crime. Is that where we're headed to here? It's very, very likely a possibility um, mm-hmm. because it is election season and I don't want to, um, you know, put put any motives behind anything, but uh, it is an election season. She's up for election. Uh, the, the mayor, Tim Keller, is not. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it does it does sort of uh, send a message that they're they're trying to be serious about something to the folks that are like Dan said, want to. Uh, some immediate re- immediate action and not uh, trying to get some of these uh, root problems for why crime is happening. Mm-hmm. Gene, you guys got to remember when you talk about a special session, um, I'm not sure that the governor would be in favor of a special session because once the special sessions start, she's the only one who's limited from raising money. All of her opponents are out there raising money, campaigning. And so, you know, when people say, oh, it's a political year and the governor was going to want, they're not, people running for office are not in favor of the special sessions. Now, I, I think what you're seeing, though, is crime is an issue, not only here, but across the country. Mm-hmm. And I think the governor has to get out in front of this and say, listen, I am trying to be tough on crime coming into an election. year. There's no doubt that the Republican nominee is going to go after this yeah. governor on crime right. and you've got to inoculate yourself as early as possible. Doesn't mean you have to have any out. You just got to show up, pretty good fight, show the intent to want to do something, and you can say, listen, reelect me and I'll keep fighting. There you go. Thank you all for that discussion. We'll be back in less than a minute with an update on proposed voting reforms. And with so much left to be done in the final week, I'll ask the question, will we need another special session to handle it? Lastly, on the legislative front, we want to look at the election issues, the voting measures. We had Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse on a little while ago to talk about uh, her package that she helped craft and is making its way through. Um, Most all prongs of the legislation have to do with increasing accessibility to the polls. So whether that be allowing 16-year-olds to vote in certain elections to automatic voter registration, automatic uh, re-establishment of voting rights for uh, felons after they leave prison, uh, all of them geared towards, again, uh, making the barriers to access almost non-existent or non-existent when possible. Uh, the package is still moving through, although some things have been stripped out, including that 16-year-old voting provision. And so we wanted to uh, catch up on all of that and see what the final bill might look like uh at least according to our line opinion panelists. So once again, host Gene Grant in the line opinion panel. Another piece of the governor's agenda faces a difficult path forward. The Senate Rules Committee passed a bill aimed at 
to expand voting access, but it's headed to the, to the Judiciary Committee after concerns from some senators, including the Democratic Chair, Daniel Ivey Soto. Let's welcome to the line back. I want to start with the same question we asked about hydrogen earlier, guys. Was this too much at once, Andy? Was Democratic leadership a bit too optimistic about how this would all play out? Well, I think you could probably say that for a lot of the the extra issues that have been added to the the special session, right? Mm -hmm. And any any year that you have a long list of stuff in addition to budget stuff, um, yeah, it, you could argue. I think that there's too big of a bite to to get at. But um, this has also been something that uh, the Secretary of State and uh, the Governor have sort of advocated for for a while, sort of. Um, expanding some of these voter issues. Mm -hmm. I know you meant regular session there when you when you said special. That's okay, we got you covered oh, yeah, there, so That's all right. Daniel Foley, one piece of the original proposal that was stripped out was a measure to, um, uh, was a measure to allow 16-year-olds to vote in local elections. The minimum age in the bill has been changed to 17. If that person turns 18 by the next general, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's past history. Smart idea, just to get rid of the 16. You know, I, I, I mean, I, it's, I'm always torn by it, right? At 18, you're allowed to go to war, carry a gun and defend the country, but you can't buy a beer. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, at some point we got to realize, you know, that, that uh, getting people involved is not necessarily a bad thing. Hmm. Interesting. Inez, I love this one. A proposed constitutional amendment would allow independent voters to participate in primary elections. Hello. It fits with what Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver told us two weeks ago that her goal is to increase voting access, period. Is it that simple in this case? It's not necessarily that simple, but it, it makes a difference if you're a declined estate and you can go vote for your local sheriff or a local county commissioner. I mm -hmm. mean, one way to get around all of this is just to dump primaries altogether and go to a blanket primary in November with ranked choice voting and you're done and everybody votes at once you don't have to pay for two elections you right. don't have to campaign twice and you get it all done on one day with whatever early voting you decide that's an interesting point i wonder why this isn't that isn't part of the, the package that's interesting hey dan another bill that expands protections i know you've talked about this in the show before but a bill that expands protections for state election workers has already passed the entire senate the legislation comes after some officials as you know were targeted with threats of violence after the 2020 presidential. Uh, are these bills necessary? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, we, we have to be careful, in my opinion, of passing legislation that really is trying to affect a small minority of, of situations that happen out there, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, threatening an elected, threatening a, a worker like that. I mean, there's ample laws out there right now to go after these individuals, punish these individuals, hold these individuals accountable, and we don't use them, right? Mm -hmm. So what is another law gonna do? It just, to me, it just, there's reasons to go out there. You know, if I threaten to beat you up right now, there's laws that prevent me from doing that. Uh, there's laws that, that allow the police to come on now by saying, hey, we're gonna make it an even bigger crime if Dan threatens Gene, it doesn't do anything to get the police to come after it any any quicker and so i just like to see us go utilize the laws we have on the books before we start adding more laws and figuring out ways to use them mm -hmm. hey andy that proposal we're talking about expands these fel felony crimes of intimidation to include acts against employees and agents of the secretary of state county clerks municipal clerks um interesting it's going to the house for consideration but on dan's point those folks do get threatened. I, I mean, there's, there's no other way to say it. It's not just the secretaries of these places. 
They, they do. And I think that you actually have seen this in many, many sessions where there's it's always a different sort of group of people that they want to try to protect through laws. And to Dan's point, I think uh, some some public defenders and criminal defense attorneys would actually agree with him on that, that we don't necessarily need more laws. There's already laws in place that make that a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and to sort of specialize it, 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 they would argue that it sort of muddies the, the, the legal waters of, you know, um, when you start to, to expand hate crimes or uh, make it a tougher uh, penalty or a, a harsher penalty for assaulting a police officer. Those things come up all the time. Uh, and not to say that these people, especially given the sort of uh, the, the world that we live in now, right, in the past couple of years, uh, things are really tense. So uh, it's probably not surprising that they're bringing this up. But yes, mm-hmm. I do think um, a lot of sort of criminal justice folks are saying, well, wait a minute, like Dan, to Dan's point. Um, maybe we don't need to add more laws to the books. Gotcha. Hey, guys, I'm going to start with uh, Inez on this, but let's all take a cut at this. Let's kind of think ahead to next Thursday when this all ends uh, inevitably. You know, what, what, do you, what do you predict, Inez, is going to be on the table still that needs to be passed? What do you think could pass? We already talked about potentially a, a special session for crime. Kind of thinking out there a little bit, what do you, what do you predict for next Thursday when this all ends? I, I believe they will pass a budget. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a bold prediction here. Um, I think that the payday lending, um, lowering the interest rates is going to pass in some form. And I think that something hydrogeny will at least get to the end, if not all the way. Mm-hmm. I have actually heard that the governor is considering a special session on hydrogen. She's huh. so focused on that. And I don't, I don't know if my source was correct, but that's what I was told. Um, I do think that something on voting rights will pass because with the national pushback and the inability of Congress to protect voting rights, I think states have to show that they can at least carry some of the weight. Mm-hmm. So I, I think voting rights in some form will get, get all the way. And the governor said in her one of her interviews that I just read that she thinks the Social Security tax cut in some form and the grocery receipts tax cut still have a chance. Gotcha. Interesting points there. We didn't talk about the tax stuff that she is touting as a possibility. Andy, your thoughts, again, it's hard to predict. These things are very, very difficult, but your sense of where things might be ending up by next Thursday and then beyond. I would agree with Inez. Obviously, the budget is going to come out uh, and and they're going to have that figured out. Taxes, possibly. I also think that uh, uh, sort of... uh, for lack of a better term, a watered-down version of these tough-on-crime bills uh, mm-hmm. will, will come out um, as as much as they can. Um, the other thing that uh, that's sort of slept on a lot, and of course it's it's in my purview, is uh, there's this cannabis bill that still needs to go through um, quite a few stops, at least a few more stops until the, the end of the session. And what that does is it impacts um, micro producers, folks that are, are growing a minimum, or a minimum of 200 right now, right. but they're trying to change the statute to 1,000. Um, that's that's going to be a big deal if it doesn't happen because uh, everybody else is getting to grow more while these people would be stuck at 200. That's an interesting point. Let me stay on that for a second, Andy, because uh, folks might be up on that and hearing, wait, 200 to 1,000? What's going on here? This is really just to stay on par, isn't it? And just have enough product out there. Yeah, uh, they, they sort of, for, for months, uh, the state has said, we're not, we're not worried about shortages. Right. Uh, and then uh, mid-January, they said, well, actually, we are worried about shortages <laughs> for the medical folks, mm-hmm. right? Because we don't want, we as a state don't want uh, folks to, uh, the, the non-medical people to buy out all the supply for people that rely on this for their medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think without doing the microproducers, they might be able to get there. Uh, but then it, there's this equity problem that comes up, right? That's Where right. so yes, they they can grow 200, 
Um, meanwhile, other people can grow uh, more than 10,000. I mean, they're, they're uh, uh, sort of cranking those numbers up for the non-micro producers. Uh, and, but the micro producers, uh, that's sort of built into statute. You can't mm -hmm. just change that through rule. So it's sort of an important thing for these folks who uh, wanted to get their foot in the door to, like you said, a thousand, it sounds like a lot and it could produce a lot, but then when you compare 200 to 10,000, that's, that's a huge difference. I appreciate that perspective. Daniel, we've got a minute left. What do you think about next Thursday when this all ends? What's your prediction? Yeah, I, as is usual, there'll be something that comes out of the end. Everybody will be hugging each other and claiming a victory. Then there'll be some people do some research like my colleagues that are on here today and say, wait a minute, it really wasn't as successful as you think. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, the, the voting rights stuff, uh, it, it does belong being heard in the states and not at the federal level. So we'll see what happens there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there will be a budget. There's no doubt about it. At the end of the day, I just think it's important for everybody to realize it doesn't take a Republican to pass anything in New Mexico. So as long as the D's get on the same page, they'll get what they want. That's a good point there. Thanks again to our line panel, as always, this week. Be sure to let us know what you think about any of the topics we covered on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages. Now, here's environment correspondent Laura Paskus. Sad news this week in Santa Fe. While the legislative session carries on, news came that former Santa Fe Mayor Javier Gonzalez had died after a battle with cancer. Uh, he was well-known in political circles, of course. He did not run again in 2018, um, but uh, lots of folks remembering Javier Gonzalez this week, and that includes our line opinion panel uh, some touching stories here we wanted to bring you that come from our warm-up that we do for the show each week on Facebook Live, which is a good time to remind you if you want to see those Facebook Lives as they happen, keep up with the show throughout the week. Uh, be sure to like us there. That's a great way to do that. But let's jump now to our one more thing with our line opinion panelists for this week. I'm Gene Grant right here in the studios of New Mexico PBS with our line opinion panelists joining me on Zoom. We're about to record this week's show, but before we do, we love to warm up by taking a turn at other issues that are on our minds for the week. Let me start with Andy Lyman. Always good to have Andy. We haven't seen you here for a while. Thank you for coming in. What's your one more thing this week? Yeah, so uh, I guess just to sort of promote a story that I wrote earlier this week, mm -hmm. uh, Seems like this, uh, obviously I cover a lot of cannabis issues, uh, seems like this issue of licensure is, is not necessarily over. Uh, Albuquerque is sort of um, now asking folks to get this extra approval uh, to make sure, I shouldn't say extra approval, but I think most people thought they were done. Mm -hmm. They got their license, they're setting up shop, and now the city's telling them they have to get this approval to make sure they're not, uh, you know, in, in a certain distance from another uh, establishment or a school or church. Hmm. And let me ask you this, you know, there's a lot of, you can't answer for people out there. I'm not asking you to do this, but your sense of where this is now, now that a lot of other states are starting to roll back mask mandates and such, is there a groundswell you're hearing in Santa Fe for anything? As far as new stores? Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't, no, I haven't heard. A, a, mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've looked at the, uh, there's a portal you can go see who's got licenses and they're, there's, they're, they're pretty much all over the state. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, uh, it's the, the ones to watch definitely are Santa Fe and Albuquerque, I think, because they're the, the sort of bigger cities and um, they're close together. I think there's this big concern of making sure they're not too concentrated where we don't have this what we call green mile uh, yes. in the middle of. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you that. I got one more question for you. We just had a recently a big sale in the cannabis industry here. One of the big local companies just got bought out by 
uh, a Denver company, which is very interesting. What's, what's your sense of that deal? It, it came with a lot of money. I mean, this thing was a huge sale. There's actually been a few in the, in the past year or so, mm -hmm. in the past 12 months, I should say. Uh, some of the bigger companies are selling. And I think it's most people expected that to happen. You okay. heard a lot about that during the session where they're saying these big, big companies are going to come in. Uh, it's, it's sort of hard to say how successful those big companies are going to be, right? Uh, there's mm -hmm. a famous Lou Wallace quote about New Mexico, and, and maybe we won't really be as, as welcoming to some of these bigger companies. Very interesting point there. It's going to be a wait and see deal there for this Denver company. It's just bought into Albuquerque, that's for sure. Hey, Daniel Foley, always good to see you. Former House Minority Whip, what's your one more thing this week? One more thing is I want the microphone sent that Andy's got. He looks like he's a, he's a professional podcaster. I love it. It's kind of impressive. He's got the headset on. I'm so sure he's got staff working over there. I'm stuck here in the garage, and Andy looks like a pro. So I think we need to – Inez and I want to get that same microphone sent. There you go. My um, one more thing is, you know, I, I know we'll talk a little bit about this with some more folks, but the passing of Javier Gonzalez, former mayor of, of uh, Santa Fe, and, uh, you know – Javier, I think, was the chairman of the Democrat Party for a while. Mm -hmm. He was a Democrat mayor. Um, I just got to say, you know, he was very active when I was in the legislature and uh, very gracious young man, very nice man to, to meet. You know, you could go to battle with the guy and then go to dinner with the guy. You know, he he we keep up with your family, knew about your kids, knew what was going on throughout the course of my kids growing up. I'd get messages from him about how the kids are doing in football or how the family's doing. And so it's a huge loss for New Mexico in general. You know, it's not always that uh, the good guys go early. Right. But in this case, the good guys go early mm -hmm. and uh, you know, my, I offer my sympathies to his family. Uh, but it's a big loss for New Mexico. He's a good man. And, uh, you know, he was always kind of a voice of reason. Many times it, there'd be some heated battles in Santa Fe and, uh, you know, you'd pick up the Albuquerque Journal or the Trib and there'd be a letter from Javier and he'd be on a Republican side of an issue or a Democrat side of an issue. And you were just like, you know, it would just kind of bring everybody together, kind of quiet things down. So, you know, uh, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame. Cancer is a horrible, horrible, vicious, uh, you know, disease. And, you know, hopefully we'll spend some time trying to figure out how to cure cancer, which is killing more people and lots of other things. And, uh, you know, I just offer my condolences to his family and what a huge loss for the state. Yep. Agreed. Inez Russell Gomez, you're in Santa Fe, of course, and I have no doubt you worked with or around the mayor uh, a lot. I'm curious if you have some thoughts about the passing of the mayor as well. Um, Dan Foley put it beautifully. It is a huge loss. Um, I remember when he got elected to the county commission back in the 90s. I was city editor and a young reporter got to cover all the things he did, including becoming the first Hispanic uh, president of whatever the National County Commission group is. So he was blazing a trail in the country. And what was interesting then is he was uh, married, a young father and uh, living a very traditional life for northern New Mexico. You go to college, you get married, mm -hmm. you grow up, you raise your kids. And in his case, politics was in his family. So he ran for county commission. He finished his two terms. He went on to serve as state Democratic Party chair. And then he decided to run for mayor. And that's when his story, I don't know if it got more interesting, but it definitely got more complex mm -hmm. because he chose before he announced for mayor to come out as a gay man. And that was so liberating, I think, uh, for him, but also for all the people who had known him over the years, because there was an understanding that you can be who you are and your family will still love you, your community will still love you, 
and you can still serve in the way that you hope to. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of courage because even in 2000, whatever, in northern New Mexico, uh, not everyone is accepting of gay people as, as they should be. And in a very tight-knit Hispanic Catholic family, it can be hard. And I know that he inspired a lot of young people with that move and the way he served his mayor with grace and openness, uh, with his partner with him, with his children front and center, really, really wonderful girls is something that I think made Santa Fe lighter and happier during those years. Mm -hmm. It's very lovely remembrance there. We're well, well put. 55 years old. Uh, it, it's hard. It's hard for all of us to kind of get our arms around this. We might have known him a lot or a little bit, but 55 is awfully young. Have to wrap that up there. Thanks for joining us. New Mexico in Focus airs Friday nights, but also Sunday mornings right here on New Mexico PBS. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McDonald executive producer at New Mexico PBS. I want to make you aware of something before we go, though. We are launching a brand new digital series here at New Mexico PBS called Indigenous, a wonderful celebration of indigenous innovation and science technology. And it's hosted by the self-proclaimed indigener Lee Francis. You know him from the Indigenous Comic Con, Red Planet Comics, and this is just a terrific series. You can uh, be ready to go for the release of uh, episodes by subscribing to the New Mexico PBS YouTube channel. And we encourage you to join us next Tuesday at 6 p.m. as we premiere the first episode all about blue corn mush and uh, what makes it blue and also something you may not realize why sometimes it's made with juniper ash. So a great series coming your way. We encourage you to get ready, subscribe, so you'll get those episodes which will release every other Tuesday. Uh, but for now, we thank you as always for tuning in, listening in, taking us with you on your trips, on your walks to the gym. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy.